Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Avon, Indiana. It's Wednesday, September 17th, and we hope that uh, all of you are having a wonderful day and that um, you have a, a wonderful week ahead. I would like to thank Brandon Ortega, the station manager at RadioUCCS.edu, uh, for his help uh, in putting this program on. Also, the various academic departments, University of Colorado and Colorado Springs, for supporting uh, our radio broadcast, Tom's World Language Cafe. Today, we have a special guest with us, and her name is Pat O'Connor. Pat is... Uh, a dear friend of mine, and Pat is uh, uh, has been a Spanish teacher for a number of years, one of the top Spanish teachers in the United States, and uh, we are uh, just excited and elated that she took time out to be with us. And um, Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. Nice to be here today. Now, can you tell us a little bit about uh, where you teach at, uh, and what your school's like, and um, how many years you've been teaching? classes that you taught and how many students you teach per day, uh, that should be it. Okay, I teach at Southport High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's on the south side, just past uh, 465, and we used to be a suburban school. We're still a suburban school, but the things have changed a little bit in Indianapolis. Uh, I've been there, this is my 36th year that I'm starting this year at Southport, and I'm starting my 39th year in teaching as a whole. Um, we have a block schedule that's a little bit different. Every three days we have two classes, and in that schedule I'm teaching five classes on a block. Um, and then I also have um, a prep where I can help work with the Latino students, and I also am working with the exchange students as they come to school and have those two of those. We have a girl from Spain and a guy from Sweden this year in my class. Uh, and anything else, if they need translation or help with the Hispanics, I try to work with that. Uh, probably during the three-day period, I have about 120, 130 students. And this year I'm teaching second, third, and fourth year. But I've taught, excuse me, second, third, and fifth and sixth year. So I have four preps. And then some years, I've had all, all levels at Southport. So we have two years at the middle school that can count for one year. And then we have a third year at the middle school that counts for second year. So some of our kids are coming into third year as freshmen. Can you tell the listeners, Pat, where you uh, started your Spanish studies, at what university, and uh, some of the countries you have visited uh, to perfect your Spanish? Uh, I started at Manuel High School. Mr. Carsey Gentry got me excited about teaching Spanish. And when I graduated from Manuel, um, I went to Ball State and I started in junior level classes at Ball State with uh, Jim Brown and Dr. Rita Guardiola as some of the two top professors at Ball State University. My junior year, I went to Spain and we had a program with the um, Escuela Oficial de Idiomas in Barcelona, Spain, because we had a girl who was an exchange student at, Bar at Ball State, um, Pilar Sturla, and she got us organized with the university where she was working. It was a language school where she was working. So they hosted us for the summer, so I got to do that. 
And then when I graduated, I did my master's work at uh, IU Bloomington over the summers because my second year, uh, my, I taught for a year then at Tech High School in downtown Indianapolis, and I left Tech to go and take an exchange program, and I taught English in Chile for a year and four months, first at the Universidad Católica de Valparaíso, Chile, and then we had a language, uh, well, it was an interpreter school. They were trying to get started. And I was waiting for one of the students from Ball State to come down and replace me at the Catolica. So we left there. I left there and worked at a school that was teaching students, hopefully, how to be interpreters and bilingual secretaries and things like that. So while I was down in Chile, I got to travel all kinds of places. Uh, I lived in Viña del Mar, which is right on the Pacific Ocean about an hour and a half, hour, well, about an hour and a half from Santiago, and um, we traveled into Valparaíso for the school, and that was about a 20-minute ride on the, on the uh, bus system. Um, sometimes we were hanging outside the doors of the buses, and sometimes we had a chance to sit down, depending on uh, if it was rush hour or not, and uh, I taught English, uh, at the university and met all kinds of wonderful people down in uh, Chile, especially Andre Frisch. It was I was directly working with her in the lab, and I got to tape some. They had some programs where they were using English in a functional way, and I think that probably helped me decide how I wanted to teach Spanish later on. And I got to tape a lot of things uh, for the laboratory, and then once school started, I taught a first-level class, and I taught a third-level class where I was teaching U.S. history and culture and things like that. And then when I went to the uh, interpreter school, I was teaching English, but for kids who were thinking they might want to either be interpreters or translators or work as bilingual secretaries, so they gave us a two-week course on it was a girl named Georgianne Weller who was out of uh, Delaware, and then she went to Georgetown, I believe, and has her Ph.D. She's a U.N. interpreter, level interpreter, and she had married a man um, from Mexico, and he was an expert. He worked in fisheries in Mexico, and she became a U.N. translator specializing in fisheries with all the international law and boating rules and the kinds of ships. And I sat there. I could not believe how someone could specialize. But while we were in Chile, she got to interpret for Pinochet, who was the dictator or president at the time, depending on which side you want to look at. So we got to meet all kinds of incredible people, and, and from there we traveled all over the place. Now, uh, I'm going to ask Pat why she uh, teaches Spanish. And yesterday on my Facebook, I, I noticed there was a poster that said, uh, this is one of the reasons that you teach. And the reason, obviously, was fairly obvious, and it was dedication. Uh, that you, you're dedicated to what you're doing. And uh, one of the reasons that you would be a great teacher is that you have to really love what you're doing and be dedicated. And I think you can easily figure this out just from listening to the enthusiasm Pat brings to teaching a language. And um, one of the great things that we always have admired about Pat has been her enthusiasm for teaching uh, language. And you can see that, and it's very obvious but let's see why, why, why uh, what are other reasons that Pat would uh, decide to be a Spanish teacher, okay? 
I think first, I think I always wanted to be a teacher. I remember playing school. I remember grading papers at home and doing things like that. I loved school all the time. I loved high school. And I walked into uh, Mr. Carsey Gentry's Spanish class in 1966 and fell in love on day one. Uh, he was not doing the grammar translation method at the time. He had, we had a small book where he had to create a lot of materials, but every day he went in and spoke and had us speaking Spanish, and I thought it was the most awesome thing in the world to be able to do that. And I liked a lot of the classes I was in, but right then and there I said, that's what I'm going to do with my life. Back then, I think with what was going on in the United States, there there wasn't a there didn't seem to be you didn't get a lot of counseling about how you could use your language skills, your foreign language skills, because in America everyone was supposed to speak English. In our school of 2000 in downtown Indianapolis, we had one Hispanic that I knew of, and he was a Cuban guy who had came over, who had come over from Castro's uh, escaping Castro's Cuba at the time, and. Um, I think probably it was, that's what you do. Mr. Gentry did a great job, and I think I wanted to be able to get people excited about it. Um, once I got into teaching, it was nice to have the summers off, but you don't really have summers off because you're constantly either traveling to upgrade your skills or going to school to get better or going to clinics or going around. Uh, some of the summers I in, helped in, uh, translate or interpret over at St. Francis High School. But uh, I like helping kids. I like working with kids. Um, that idea of helping people prepare for their future. But I think the biggest thing, Tom, was I just loved Spanish. And whatever they could give me, I couldn't get enough of it. I stayed after school and did anything I could to help Mr. Gentry. And when they said there was a chance to travel, I said, sign me up. When they said there's a chance to volunteer or become part of the singing group or the club, I volunteered and I became part of the club. And I did that in uh, high school. I did it in college. Uh, and I still do it at Southport. Amazing. And you can see the dedication and passion that uh, Pat brings to the table. And that separates a lot of great, uh, great language teachers from the people who aren't so great. And that's the passion and the dedication. And you can just tell uh, Pat loves what she's doing. Uh, Pat, could you tell the listeners about uh, your school? Like, uh, what type of students do you have? Tell us a little bit about the Hispanic students you have there and uh, maybe some problems Hispanic students may have uh, in, in the classrooms but because I know there are, there are some uh, decided definite problems, right? When we first started, when I first started teaching, we had almost no Hispanics at the school. And we were a working class neighborhood, but upperly mobile. So the kids had parents, a lot of them had parents who had gone to college and encouraged their students to go on to college. And Spanish was considered one of the academic, one of the five academics. We were considered on par with that. Uh, things have changed somewhat, somewhat with the state regulations and some with uh, the way Southport has gone right now. But uh, we're a required course if they want to get an academic honors. And um, I think most people are happy if you just give them the minimum and move on. Um, but what we try to do is to uh, encourage our kids that once they get started, we try to show them how you can use Spanish in real life, how it creates more opportunity for you for your future. And if they can stay with it and continue using it and be excited about it, um, 
when they leave our classes, our four, five, and six classes, most of them are testing into the second year of the second um, semester of the second year of college, second semester, or into their third year, and they're close to getting a minor. So we try to encourage because that's the big push in the state right now is to you have to get something for your language. Uh, it used to be that school for school's sake was great. And now it's you have to get something for it. You have to get credits. You have to get out of school earlier. You have to get into college and be able to move forward. Now, something like that. Are, are the students at uh, Southport High School, are they a mix? In other words, uh, middle class, uh, some upper class, some lower mm -hmm. economic level. Yes. Yeah. Nowadays, we have about 55% free and reduced lunches. We have around 2,000 students right now, which has been stable the whole time I've been there. Uh, we have another school in our township that also has around 2,000 students. And be just before I got there, they switched over from, a from one school with 4,000 students to two schools with 2,000. And that gives more opportunities for the students. About uh, 20 years ago, we started getting an influx of Hispanics. And they, most of them came not knowing much English. So the Spanish department was there to help the Hispanic students. And we put the students in our usually our second year class because we went through a lot of grammar at that level. And uh, we helped them learn English. Well, then they've adopted EL classes. And the Hispanic population has gone down somewhat because of all the scares after 9-11 and some of the immigration policies. And uh, all of a sudden, we started getting an influx about 10 years ago of students from Burma. And many of them are from Chin, the re Chin region, and others, or Chinland, they call it. Uh, it's called Myanmar as a country, and they still call it Burma. So we have a big influx, and that population has grown over the last 10 years and we have over 450. So we have, and this last two or three years, we've seen to get more Hispanics, but many of the Hispanics we're getting um, know more English. So they've lived in our country, and some of them have completely forgotten Spanish. Some of them never use Spanish at home. Some of them are embarrassed to use Spanish. Some of them speak Spanish very well, but they've never had any English, excuse me, they've never had any reading or writing training, so they take Spanish. Some of them are being encouraged now to continue to go on to school, so they're trying to get their academic honors, and they're all different kinds of things. But right now, we probably have about a fifth to a fourth of our students who are foreign-born students. And this year, Tom, we're getting an influx. Right now, we have an incomer class that splits between Perry Meridian and Southport. But the newcomer class that they teach for in, uh, English learners, uh, about two-thirds of them are Chin kit students, and about one-third of them are students from Latin America, and most of them are the Honduran kids. Most of them the Hondurans. Now, for the new teachers who may be listening, people who are starting their teaching career, um, can you advise them as to some good activities? I know if you had to say, what would be your three favorite teaching activities? Well, my favorite thing is to do anything that's real Spanish. And we have to try to be actors and actresses, and we sing and uh, I love singing. I, whatever is current events at school, I want the kids, because when I go to Latin America, I need to know about things from their culture, and I'm constantly wanting to learn. But the first thing that all the families want to talk about is, what do you do? What's Indianapolis like? 
what are the holidays like? What's the music? Of course, now with all the internet, they know that more than I do. But they always want to know about things we do and what traditions we have. Or they've heard about something and they say, is it really like that where you live? And so what the first, one of the first things I like to do is we do cheers for our school team. And we talk about the team and we say, what are you involved in and what do you do? So that current events, what's going on at school, what's interesting to the kids, and just trying to get them in their most basic Spanish to say something to try to communicate could, some ideas. Could you do a little cheer for the Southport basketball team, the girls team? Okay. Southport! Southport! Row, row, row! Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> and uh, again, what a great, great ideas. Um, now, I want to ask you about technology because the, I'd like to talk to Pat because Pat is in the trenches, as I call it. She's down there day after day teaching hundreds of kids every day. And uh, she knows firsthand what is going on uh, with the use of technology, the good and the bad. And uh, I love technology and I like to use it in class. But I do think it has its place and uh, that there are times when we have to be human and have human interaction and dynamics interaction. Uh, Pat, what's the good and the bad of technology that you see and use it every day down there at Southport? I'm old, Tom. They think at school that I'm not going to use any technology and that I'm just going to get a book out and beat lessons into the students. And then they came to evaluate, and they said, oh, I couldn't believe you went over and used technology. But ever since we've had opportunities, I've gone to a lot of different workshops to see how the computer works. I took a programming course way back when to, to see just what this thing was you, all about. You did, and I remember that. And I, I, I can't remember exactly, but I remember you, I had done a project in Madrid on the stores of Madrid in, in the neighborhood of Madrid, and you suggested that I do a PowerPoint or something or little video clips about the stores, which I finally got to do a video uh, over in Madrid in the barrio of uh, uh, Chambéry. And uh, so you have been involved in this a long time. I remember you were in the, in the, the very beginnings of technology used in the classroom. It, the limitations at the beginning were like you'd see something and then you'd take it back to school and they say, oh, we can't do that yet. And I'm going, oh, but I got this cool idea. Oh, but we don't have the technology yet to do it. Well, now they have so much technology that I feel like I can't do it. I can't keep up. But uh, the technology allows you to see the world. Anything where these kids get a, a chance to look and see what the world looks like. I go in and pop off a song off. What's, what's the popular song? What are you guys listening to? The kids came back from Spain this year, and I said, tell me the name of a song. And on Friday, we got five extra minutes. I put the song on, and we sing to the song. I can go in and look. Something's happened down in Chile. There was an earthquake last year. I saw a BM. When, while I was looking for information about the, the um, earthquake, there was something, or the fire, the fire that was going on in Valparaiso, because I was devastated that my friend's houses might be eaten up. And I looked, and they had a BMX 
So we watched the BMX of the people coming down the hill in Chile and saying, guys, look, they do all the same kind of things that we do here in our country, okay? But the culture's a little different. Look and see what you see there. So we get to see that. The realia, what used to be realia is now incredible because you can see things live. You can see posters. You can pull up things. Uh, I Something in literature. We sat there last year and we were talking about... Um, well, we were talking this year about Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and I said, okay, he lived in this time period, or he's taking you back to this town, so we could pop up and just go see the town for a minute. I said, okay, go to Google. Today we went to see Diego Rivera's murals. I said, just pop on Diego Rivera or Rosco or Siqueiros, and I said, get on Google and look at the, when once they found the, the uh, murals, I said, okay, get on Google and see where the Socolo is, because we had Independence Day. And I said, get on the Google, the one that's got the satellite. And I said, go to the Socolo and pretend like you're walking around the Socolo. I said, okay, now there's the Palacio Nacional. There's where the, the president's going to speak. And when you walk in here, turn to the right and go up the steps. And there are five panels of murals. And they got in there and go, oh, man, I found it. Look at this. So I, that's how I like to use it. Uh, now we've got a book. We've got a live or a text uh, online. And they've got some really pretty good exercises that the kids can talk back and forth. So some of the ideas that I had 15, 20 years ago, we're finally getting the technology that the kids can talk to each other, like they could be at home and still talk to each other or communicate back and forth by way of that. And I can still listen to them and hear them. So I think those are the great things. So how do you get the live human interaction in without looking at a screen? It's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. It's it's pretty tough right now because you have to. And the kids that like theater, the kids that like music, the kids that like acting, uh, the kids that are in choir, those kids seem to be able to like create things in their mind. So we can show a place and then say, okay, you're here. Pretend you're here, and you're going to do this, this, and this. So I try to give them some scenes that would be acting things out. Or we go and look at a sign. Or if we want to talk, it used to be if I talk about Corte Inglés, I'd have to give them a Xerox. Well, now I can say, okay, here, you're at the Corte Inglés, go shopping and buy five things. So that's so how then, I try to incorporate then they, it. Then they work in groups and talk and do plan it and do it, right? Right. So, and you've probably got some of the uh, best things, Tom. I, uh, I did a lot of things. Yeah. We did the boda. Oh, yeah. We did the boda. And, and we did the Don Quixote, and we acted out some things with Don Quixote. So we you did. actually got me involved doing a lot of things that, that, that on was, my own, I had to have some push to do some of those things. That was called distance learning, remember? Yeah. Distance learning. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, but one of the interesting things uh, that you're talking about is using it but making it human and humanizing it. And that's what I think has to be done in the classroom. We have to humanize it. And we also, I think, have to take time to get away from the screen, too, you know, where they, you're looking at each other and you're doing things, too, you know, live, thinking about it, too, right? So, you know, you're at the Cortine Glaze, okay, good but maybe move away too, right? And say, now let's do something. And, you know, we're in the street, we're in the department of the Corte Inglés where they do something live, right? And that's kind of what I mean. I, I still think we have to maintain part of the class where there's live, look at me and look at you. And we're talking as human beings, not into a screen, but to each other. And I still think there's a huge, that's still incredibly important education. And I think in technology is too, but I think the difficult part 
is to figure out how to balance it all, you know. And I think that's going to be the challenge in the next uh, probably 10 years in education. How do we balance that? Uh, if we end up uh, where we're always looking at a screen and we're just talking, you know, in an artificial intelligence, uh, it is going to have an impact on live communication when we see each other. So it, it's going to be interesting down the road how that plays out. Yeah, and we're, we're having that problem. They just brought Chromebooks in for the first for, for everybody this year, and you're trying to work on something that's not on screen, and they're off doing their own things. So this idea of trying to focus and the self-discipline, uh, I'm still old school, and I work on those kind of things too, and I say, okay, put that down. Now, look at your partner. We have to go through this. I don't know how you teach an online course. I mean, I know what the... I know, in theory, what it's supposed to be, but I don't know how you impart Spanish on an online course uh, without having that interaction with the students. I, I, well, the, it's very difficult. And, and I think that's what we have to be careful of. You know, we, you know, we hope that we can get these kids that they're talking and they can go out in the hallway and talk to each other in Spanish or they could go to Mexico and talk live in the street. And, and I go back to the screens again because when you go to Mexico City or you go to Madrid... You're not talking in a screen when you're in the street, you're in department stores, you're in a supermercado and you got to comprar cosas. Uh, it's not a screen and it's a live people. And so, you know, the, it's reality versus something that isn't real, real, but it appears to me. So it's kind of a game of smoke and mirrors with technology. But it's important because it's a, it's a wonderful tool, as you said, to see things and to see the, live, the pictures and what it's really like immediately. And that's wonderful. But the, 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 the challenge, I think, that is for the profession is to how we can humanize this technology and keep, it, keep the human side of it as the most important part. And it's very difficult. It's, we have a lot of administrators who push technology and push, push, push. And then, uh, then maybe three years later, they're saying, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Uh, and, and things happen. So, you know, we do, sometimes in education we do things that, uh, especially I think in, in uh, uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, but we'll do things as fads and we'll say, oh, let's do this, let's do that. And we don't have a lot of research as to whether, whether that really is the best way to do things. And so, you know, the, the, as we go through this, as you said, I think we're, we're going to see it's going to play out what what works, what doesn't work. Well, a lot of people and a lot of books are just putting worksheets online, which is silly. Uh, you have to find some things that are very inefficient using the technology. And uh, give me a chalkboard or give me a whiteboard and uh, get the kids a worksheet. Maybe not a worksheet, but something where they're holding their hand, they're getting up and moving around or something like that. So sometimes it's not efficient. So I think the best thing is you got to know as a teacher what you want. There's the human. you got to know what you want, where you're going, and you need to think through what's the best way to do that. So whenever this can enhance and give you a picture of the real world, I think it's great to show them and then use that as a takeoff for what it is that you're going to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, What about this, um, uh, if you had to... uh say the importance of travel maybe in three sentences what why is travel so important today for for students and for anybody to to visit another country 
I tell my kids that if you want to use Spanish for the rest of your life, you need to travel, you need to immerse yourself in the language. And mostly what you're getting from that, and you can do that here in the States if you hang around the Latino community, you can travel. I prefer traveling, uh, but I've seen some kids that are very good at speaking. But as you get to travel, just everything becomes so so real. You see the people. You see the people, how they live. You learn the culture. You see why the results of history and all the things that you've studied in your history class. You see literature, and you can see the place where that actually took place and how maybe the author was stimulated to uh, create that story. Uh, you can feel an empathy for the people and the way they live. Uh, I have such a respect for so many of the lower class rural women of Latin America and how they, in spite of all the odds and difficulties that they had to raise their children through, that they were able to come mm-hmm. out and their kids just moved ahead and they're college educated now. And now, who, interesting. Tell us a little bit about your family and uh, uh, and. Who are the important people for you and your family? Uh, My mom and dad are still alive. They're close to 84 right now. And uh, my mom's family uh, was a German background for the most part. And we got together with them for every holiday. And it was a big fest. And just so exciting. So many good memories. My aunt, my aunt Carolyn, who was also my sponsor, uh, had muscular dystrophy growing up, so we saw how people went through and just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and doing what they needed to do without complaining. And that's one of the big lessons I tell my kids about, my students about. Uh, I'm not married. I have two sisters, and uh, Pam's a nurse at community in the operating room, and Karen's an English teacher at Center Grove High School in Greenwood, Indiana. And I have a brother, Perry, who's not around the family as much anymore, but he drives a truck. And he was quite a bit younger than the rest of us as we went through. So um, the, Pam has a daughter who is a sophomore in high school. And we've done, she had some heart defects when she was born and was a Riley kid who was one of the children's hospitals in town. And she's taking Spanish now. So we're trying to encourage. She likes what they do at uh, New Palestine High School, and then uh, Karen has three children, and two of them right now have, uh, there are six great nieces and nephews, and we get to go and do lots of fun things, and that's one of the good things of uh, teaching. You have some summers off, you have some few more vacations than most people, so you get a chance to take them places, and this, some, this weekend we're going down to Fiesta, for example. Tell us about... Uh... By the way, Guero's performing uh, between 3.30 and 4. Okay, good. Yes. Um, tell us about uh, your three of your top Spanish students of all time. What, what have they done? And That's a hard one to do, Tom, because there are just so many kids that have done mm-hmm. incredible things. And I keep reminding the kids when they say, why am I taking this? And I say, you can't just take it because it's a book class, because they tell you to take it. So I think one of my strong kids that I always talk about is Patrick Manus. And uh, Patrick wanted to be an engineer. When he came to Southport, he was speaking Spanish already. He was in my second year class, and he loved speaking Spanish. And we had a girl from the Dominican Republic that year, and he tried to help her. She just came over. She spoke no English. We didn't have an EL program. He kind of adopted her. And by his senior year, he was helping Mr. Rice with some of the discipline problems that the Hispanics were bringing to us. And the teacher said, we don't understand. So we sent Patrick down to help him out. 
He went in and became an engineer. His sophomore year at Purdue, he spent the year abroad in Monterey, Mexico, and he's taking Spanish engineering classes as a sophomore in college. I was just blown away by that. He became an engineer, but he decided after a while he didn't want to be an engineer. So he went back to law school. He's been interpreting for some of the Hispanics in the community in the court system, and now he's in. The, he finished law school and he's working as a patent lawyer in Washington D.C. But he's working from home most of the time. Okay, uh, awesome. Uh, I wanted to run down a list of questions here. We have to go fairly fast so I can get to uh, toward the end here, and I wanted uh, with my questions, and so you have to give a quick answer. Okay. Uh, your two favorite Spanish-speaking countries to visit? Chile, because that's where I went all the time. I love Mexico, and I've been to Spain and love a lot of things about Spain. Okay. Chile's number one. And the importance of discipline in today's school? Oh, <laughs> if we don't discipline, I don't know that some students will ever have discipline in their lives. T- totally agree with that. Totally well said. Your three favorite sports? I play golf, but I haven't played a lot lately. I coached basketball and volleyball, so those are probably the top three. I love watching sports now. I don't do very many. And your two favorite hobbies? I used to do a lot of needlework. My favorite hobby right now is great nieces and nephews. Awesome. Okay. (laughs) And uh, your two favorite singers of all time, Latino singers or Spanish singers? Oh, man. I'm not very good. I love singing, and I do a lot. I liked folklore, and I liked... um, Church music, and I do sing. I did sing in the choir when we had a choir at our church. But um, you know what? I like Joan Baez. She was my favorite from college on, and I could sit and listen to her all the time. And uh, Sandy Patty in Christian music, and I know they think she's old, but I think she's got a powerful voice. She does have a great voice. Now, what is your favorite day of the week? <laughs> I like the weekends because I got to have a break and you can go out and do things and use Spanish and, and uh, be excited about that. So I love teaching though. I mean, I, I love going, I love seeing kids get excited about language. So while you're at school, I don't like being home all the time. I like. Awesome. Okay. My favorite Joan Baez song was Gracias a la Vida. If you ever get to hear that one. Uh, I, I happen to have one of her songs. I'm going to turn it on that and or play it here. Oh, uh, we'll do. A good one. We'll play this one and see if the listeners remember this. Let's see. Now, here is another song that Joan Baez did a great job with, and a lot of teachers sing this in class.
Okay, we're going to continue on with our show. And did you ever think you would hear Joan Baez on a Wednesday afternoon from Avon, Indiana? <laughs> so here we go. We're going to move on. Um, we would like to um, ask Pat here. Um, there's been a lot of change in education over the years to a point. And, uh, and some people think that there's been a major change in the way kids behave, et cetera, et cetera. But kids are kids. They're still adolescent kids, and they go through the same difficult times, as, and this has gone on for a long time. So, um, but what goes on in the classroom has changed somewhat. And uh, Pat is going to talk a little bit about the good and the bad, the good things going on in education, and some of the things that maybe are a little tougher that uh, aren't as good as they could be. I think one of the most difficult things right now is the government intervention and... Uh taking control away from local schools. So they're trying to put everybody and make everybody do the exact same thing, and it seems like a lot of the creativity has been, with the ideas, has been taken out of the classroom, and we're over-testing, and uh, we're doing things for the wrong reason. And to get lifelong learners, I think that you need to keep being creative. Right now, uh, we're going through lessons on how to teach, and it seems like everybody's trying, they want everybody doing the same kinds of things every day. One of the things that was exciting about Spanish, and my kids have always commented on, is that we do so many different things that they didn't do in other classes, and that was exciting for them. So we got to watch out that we're not going to put ourselves into that kind of situation. Um, I think one of the great things for Spanish teachers right now is the influx of Latinos. And the, with the world shrinking, they're thinking, uh, you know, so many times it's been, why do we have to learn English? And we look at my class, my first period class this morning, there were six or seven Hispanics in that class. There's why. So we have a reason now. When I was going to school, other than I liked it, you know, there wasn't anybody telling me why you needed Spanish and how that could help me in my future. And I think now it's so obvious. So I think it's easier for me to try to talk to kids and show. We had the other day some students who, uh, some teachers who told me that they were applying, or student teachers and things like that, they had applied for certain kinds of jobs. One was at the BMV, and the guy said he's been teaching forever. He was excellent at driving the car, but they wouldn't hire him because they were looking for a bilingual person. The last class that uh, IMPD, the Indianapolis uh, Police Force, had together, they needed more minority. And they were looking for Hispanics and blacks. And if you weren't Hispanic or black, there were very few non-minority people. So it's easier, I think, in that way to encourage kids and see that besides what you like to do, add language to that, and you can go from there. So I think that's a positive thing. Well, one of the things that we have just, that you talked about earlier, I'm going to bring up here again, uh, is that uh, that uh, combination of taking technology and taking a step beyond that and bringing it into the real world, like we were talking about the Cortin Glaze, and then okay, let's write a dialogue, let's do a little skit, we'll perform, we'll put it on uh, video, we'll make a clip and put it on YouTube, and we'll go shopping in the Cortin Glaze. That you can start it with the technology, or combine it, and uh, and make apply what the the students see, what tech and do, what they and learn from technology, uh, and but where they have to apply it and do something with it, and then maybe 
be creative. Maybe they write, uh, do a video. They they video uh, do the video clip. They edit the video clip. They have to write. They have to uh, direct if it's a play, whatever they're doing. But uh, these projects that we can create after we take technology is, is it's astounding. And I think that's one of the challenges to education too today. And that is uh, we have to learn how we balance everything and we bring variety to the classes every day, uh, be it technology, uh, be it uh, games, be it singing, dancing, uh, editing, or whatever, or uh, uh, doing uh, our own videos or whatever. But uh, there's so many things we can do today that we couldn't do 10 years ago because of technology, because of uh, activities uh, that are available to teachers that weren't available 10 years ago. So it's a dynamic uh, profession, uh, teaching a language, a world language. And uh, for the young teachers out there, you're in for a real treat uh, that as you go through this, that you're going to see um, that there are challenges. Would, what do you pick when you teach a class? What are you going to do? And the effect that it has in, in bringing about uh, positive results, especially with speaking a language and uh, learning to speak a language and practicing. Um, Pat, thank you so much for being on the show. It was incredible, uh, your ideas. I'm sure the listeners enjoyed and appreciated all your ideas, your, your observations, and, and learning about uh, how you have uh, uh, been a Spanish teacher for, for much of your life and, uh, and done such an outstanding job. And uh, Pat has won many teaching awards. I didn't mention that. And... Uh, has served on uh, Indiana language boards and language teachers. And uh, she probably has had done about everything possible in, that a teacher could do in a lifetime. And, uh, and we're very proud that, uh, of what you've done and happy that you took time to be with us. And uh, a real honor for, to have you on the show. So uh, uh, do you want to have any closing words you want to say? Tom, I just want to say thank you for getting me involved in so many things. Uh, we've worked together as professionals for a long time, back from 87, probably before that, but definitely from 87 with the Pan Am Games, and you're always upbeat, you're always positive, you've got so many projects that you have in the proyectos. We went to uh, the IU Honors Program for three, two years in a row together, and uh, directing and teaching with kids, and you're always trying to do things that are positive for kids and positive for teachers, and it's... I've got to be around that because if you just are around what no, the normal things are, if I'm not around the teachers and uh, that speak the language, if you're not involved with the language, it's so hard to get caught up in all the negativity. And that's always been fun working with you, Tom. Well, thank you so much. That is very kind of you. And the same, I feel the same way about the uh, things you've done and then being with you and the enthusiasm that you bring to the profession. So uh, thank you so much for those kind words. Um, we will be uh, ending the show now, and we will pick up again in another week or two with another guest. And uh, always remember that uh, we're interested in world languages and uh, how to motivate students and learning languages and cultures and learning about cultures. So come back and be with us, and uh, we hope you have a rest of the wonderful week and uh, that you have a great weekend. And uh, to speak another language before we meet again. So have a great day and thank you for being with us.
Nos vemos. Adiós. Oh, Pat, querías hablar un poquito en español, se me olvidó. Uh, Pat dijo que, sobre todo, quería entonces uh, hablar un minuto para hablar de, de los estudiantes, los mejores estudiantes de este momento en sus clases. ¿Bien? Ah, es que yo pensé que íbamos a hablar español todos los cuarenta y tantos minutos, Tom. Así que yo siempre estoy preparada para hablar el idioma. Pero, pero el programa es para todos los idiomas, desafortunadamente, ¿verdad? Sí. Ich verstehe das. Dann kann wir, kann wir ein bisschen Deutsch sprechen hier heute. Uh, uno de mis estudiantes favoritas es Heather Harris, que ahora es um, enfermera en uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, en la sala de emergencia. Tiene dos hijos ahora. Ha viajado mucho y cuando antes de hacerse médico, tomó dos um, oportunidades para hacer misiones, una, las dos veces en uh, Centroamérica. Así que ahora es doctora bilingüe. Bueno, bueno, gracias, eh. Everybody have a great weekend and uh, au revoir. Admitir saying y hasta pronto. Nos vemos en el próximo show. Bye.